Everybody and welcome to another LocoCast.net for Friday, February eleventh, episode I'm, twelve. Hey, dozen. I'm uh, your host Rick Harding here with co-host Craig Maloney. How are we doing, Craig? I'm doing okay. Um, I've been I've been having a little fun. Uh, I found out that my service provider is running uh, FTP, which I didn't know that they were running, and somebody managed to. I don't know, guess my password or something like that, and uploaded some stuff to my site. So I'm real thrilled about that. <laughs> oh, boy, cleaning yeah. up cleaning up people who are very kind to you. How awesome. Uh, yeah, they leave little gifts all over my website. It's so <laughs> wonderful, especially like the folks that gave me the firma hack. I really appreciate it. Please die in a fire. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. That was um, long ago, so. so what are you using FTP4 on there? I'm not using FTP in there, and that's part of the problem because the hosting provider won't turn it off. Oh. Uh, so I'm in the market for a different hosting provider. I think I'm going to get my big boy pants on and uh, instead of doing shared hosting, maybe do something like Linode or something like that. So if you have any suggestions uh, of places that you think are really awesome, for hosting in that, please let me know. Uh, feedback at localcast.net, or you can send it to me directly, uh, Craig at decafbad.net. Hey, there you go. And get yourself your own Ubuntu server. Forget that shared hosting crap. There you go. Um, I have been homesick with a baby all week, with a sick baby. I have not been sick. He has. So I'm finally catching up on adult conversations and actually having fun writing code. So, yay. That's cool. But anyways, why don't we jump on into this week's podcast? Let's do. First up, our events. And like every month, I have to bring up, PyCon is coming. One month to go. I will be on a plane a month from yesterday. So, woo! And in case you're going, they put up a page to sign up for sprints going on. There's a lot of sprints activity going on after the conference. So if you're going to hang around for a few days afterwards, make sure you go sign up for a sprint. They're a lot of fun, I hear. I haven't done them yet. But um, I'm looking forward to coding with some other people and maybe learning up, picking up a few new tricks. Awesome. And next up, we have the Loco-specific events, and we have the same list we had last episode. But basically, they're coming <laughs> sooner now. They're, 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 they're much closer. So the Linux workshop from the New York State Loco is going on February 19th. Go hit that up after the lug meeting there. And one thing I didn't want to bring up that kind of came up again on Planet Ubuntu, there was a post from Nathan Haynes, it looks like about an UbuCon before the Scale 9X uh, conference out there, the Southern California Linux Expo. That's February 25th. And if you don't know, we talked a lot about an UbuCon back 
a while back when we talked with Amber Gaynor because they had a Ubicon before Ohio Linux Fest. Which so, I missed. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, I think we I all missed. Kind of it yeah, it's kind of a Friday during the day thing. But basically the idea is to get kind of a mini Ubuntu, mini conference, unconference going on directly in front of an existing conference. So you're already going. You might as well get together with some other Ubuntu folks and uh, listen to some talks or present some stuff or whatever. So make sure that you're aware that there is this UbuCon going on to get out there a day early and to uh, hit that up. Uh, we'll have a link to the post about it in the show notes. And also coming up on February 17th, 10.4.2. Woo! Updates. Fresh, fresh build. So get your LTSs ready to hum along and get those updates. You probably already are getting those updates, right? Right? <laughs> this is just a respin, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Wait a minute. Isn't 10.04 was that? Oh, 10.04 was LTS. You're right. I'm thinking 10.10. 10. Yeah, no. Yeah, I know. 10.04 yeah, is LTS. So, awesome. That's actually, I'm still running that. So, that's uh, that's cool. Although, like you I, say. I'm too on my desktop. I've already got the updates going. But, yeah. And then, heads up, on the Natty Cycle, we have coming up Feature Freeze on February 24th, right after my birthday. So um, after that, the, the thing should start slowing down and firming up and stabilizing. Have you been able to actually get Natty running? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be honest. I hear a lot of folks trying to get it running in, in VirtualBox, which is how I would Me? test stuff out. <laughs> you and some other guys in the Loco channel and IRC channel, and I'm hearing a lot of the same thing. It don't work. So I'm holding back. For a more stable release, although we'll get into some updates that are going on that I'm actually interested in checking out. So I definitely do want to run it before it comes out this time, but I'm still holding off just a little bit longer for some things to work some kinks out. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been interesting. I got bit by a ubiquity bug, uh, so whenever I finish the install screens, <laughs> yeah. it just kicks me back to the live CD screen and says, yeah, I'm not doing this. But at least it lets me file a bug. Like <laughs> and other folks that have filed the same bug. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing, right? This, this is the time to find the stuff and the test of stuff. So uh, definitely go out there. Go get the Alpha 2 that came out. Um, boot it up. Fire it up. Try to get it running. And it's let them know, too. you know, let, uh, let the people know what's not working. Let's get the bugs identified and knocked out before it's released. And that is it for events. If you have anything interesting coming up, feel free to feed us a line at feedback at lococast.net. All right, a bunch of news and happenings. And first up, we have a trio of posts on Unity. And Unity, the UI, is coming along. It was kind of, it's really hilarious because George puts out a post every Tuesday about what's going on, bug report, things that have been fixed, yada, yada. And then immediately afterwards, he had two other posts of basically, here's the cool stuff of Unity that's changed that I didn't get, you know, that, you know, that came out right after I put my weekly post out. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of the things is uh, is progress meters, which... I have to say is is a little bit intriguing to me, um, being being from a Macintosh background and liking the OSX way of doing things. I'm kind of interested in the uh, the progress meters that they've got on there. So they they show uh, in the screenshot uh, an envelope that says 124 uh, for the amount of messages that have apparently been unread, which 
would scare the living crap out of me being a GTD or in that. You know, that should be zero <laughs> at all times. But okay, I guess that's for demonstration purposes. <laughs> yeah, I think the examples kind of. I think they have that sample one, but really the idea is to allow any app to add two bits of information to its icon in the Unity. You know, the the app bar over there. One being just some kind of counter, whether it be, you know, email client, the number of posts read, you know, a, a browser, the number of tabs you have opened, you know, who who knows what you might want to do with number that. Number of unread messages in your in your pigeon or or yeah. client, right? Somebody the, trying to get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, the progress meter I would imagine more for things like if you had your browser downloads that were in progress, or maybe your uh, upgrades were in progress, and you want to just kind of minimize that out of the way, but still know that it's still cranking over there on the side, or even torrent progress. I want to know. Yeah, torrents would be really good. A torrent app. Although I just want to know how to get it to read my, you know, wget command and put it over there. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you'll have to figure out how to interface that now, won't you? Yeah, I am sure. Um, There's also some really kind of cool. George called it random small bling, where they had uh, some some cool use case uh, updates for Unity. One being uh, keyboard users get some shortcuts. Which, you know, I love me some shortcuts in any window manager, so that's awesome. Um, a bit unwieldy at Control Alt and then a numpad, um, but hey, you get some. And then this one was actually. Speed dial for your desktop. Control Alt and a numpad, that's not really speed dial. I think that's a little bit, uh, but you know, hey, you get, you get shortcuts, it's good. The next one I thought was really kind of interesting, uh, especially for new users, because, you know, part of getting a new desktop is identifying what your equivalents are in, you know, Ubuntu, Linux, whatever. So, you know, I mean, if you had an image file and you wanted to look at it, you know, well, what's the thing that's called that, you know, I view images on or that I edit them in or whatever. So the idea was that you could take a file and drag it over to your application bar on the left, and anything that does not say I handle this type of file would just kind of dim away. Yeah, I'm not quite as thrilled with this i mean i understand what they're what they're going for mm-hmm. but in the example that they have like say for, they're they're trying to move over it looks like i don't know if it's a text file or no it's a, it's a, it's a dot c file. file yeah it's a c file it's a dot c, c file okay code. now if it was something like a dot text file they have um in the image that i'm seeing here chrome uh blanked out in that right which, to me, you know, some of these applications do handle stuff. They may not be the primary things that they handle, right. but, you know, you could, you could, if you really wanted to, load up a .c file in, in your uh, Chrome extension, in your Chrome yeah. browser or something like that. Right. But I think for some sure of useful, but... I think for users like that, though, I mean, you're not going to be one to have a file on your desktop that you're dragging over to your app bar just to open it. You're just going to... Either open I your do app. that a lot, actually. I do, do that really? sometimes. Yeah, oh. just to get it, just to get it to open it. The one I'll have it in Nautilus. Right. I want it to throw it into an editor, and you know, okay. Sometimes I won't get. I'll get lazy, and I won't want to do a right click and try and open with because I know it'll do something wrong or whatever. You GUI users, I tell you what, you do the strangest things. Um, what is, <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> Dragon. It's convenient on occasion. I understand, yes, the, the CLI way, yay, verily, thou shalt type the VI command and then do tab complete, but god damn it, sometimes you got to drag. <laughs> I don't know. The one thing I will say that I think would be much better, because I think the use case is the discoverability, right? They're just to kind of make things more obvious. And I think if you're going to do that, you should 
include basically, I would say, all apps in the system. What I would love, and someone actually recommended this, I think, in, in the blog post, is that if you drag a file over that basically the, the app bar gets populated with shortcuts for apps that can handle it. So let's say you haven't added Inkscape to your app, you know, your application menu over there on the left, and you drag an image file over that you, you want to go edit in it, um, that it would appear and be nice and bright and highlighted so that you would know oh, that this is an option. That would be a usability hell. I can see. You think? That. I see. That's what yeah, I, I because, get debated uh, debating about that. But think about it. The average Linux desktop ships with about five different ways to do things. Not all of which are on your little uh, link bar or something like that. I mean, that's, so if you drag it over and all of a sudden Inkscape starts showing up and they're covering up something else, it's like, no, 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 no. I don't think that would be the wisest thing to do. I don't know. I, I think, you know, Ubuntu does a pretty good job of shipping one app for most most functions, you know, out of the box. Um, and you're just not going to fit them all over there, especially if you start adding your own custom things like, you know, I don't know, uh, the directories or games or who knows what. So um, I think it'd be interesting to at least try out, but... I, it's definitely something kind of cool. It's cool to see Unity trying new things, right? At the end of the day, this is Canonical and Ubuntu trying new things, seeing what's, you know, I, I'm i hoping, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, um, and we'll see how this works out. And I'm also hoping that if things don't work out, that somebody will at least t own up to the mess that's on the floor. Yeah, well, we'll see about that one. We'll see about that one. <laughs> Uh, next up, let's talk about Canonical has joined the OpenStack Alliance. Um, I don't know if it's actually called an alliance, but basically the OpenStack uh, project, which is the big thing between uh, Rackspace, NASA, and all that to provide an alternative to Eucalyptus that NASA says will hope, you know, their whole problem with Eucalyptus was that it did not scale to their needs. So uh, interesting that Canonical is getting involved. I, I'm not totally surprising being that they've tried to stick to the forefront of you know providing ubuntu server as you know a basis for cloud infrastructure from you know out of the box uh, and put some emphasis behind it but kind of cool that they you know canonicals jump behind the eucalyptus bandwagon and now they're jumping on the openstack bandwagon like we don't care who wins or who what long as you're using ubuntu on it and uh, you know using our stuff well, i think that's what's really important is that you know, it, you don't necessarily need to be married to one particular way of doing things and say, this is the only way that we're going to do this. And there, there are certain things that make sense. Like, okay, when when there was the conversation between Zen and KVM, you mm -hmm. kind of have to make a choice in there. There's a line in the sand to be drawn. But I don't think that OpenStack versus Eucalyptus really has that clearly defined line that uh. requires you to... I'm going to completely disagree with you on that. Are that's you? Act, okay. that's actually my, my, my bug with this because I'm looking at this stuff. Um, I, I like cloud infrastructure. I like the idea. I like the uh, elasticity of it all. Um, I play on Amazon EC2 with things personally. However, work has a pretty important, like, you know, <gasps> our data does not go off-site kind of policy. So we're looking at our options internally because we also run projects in short phases. So we may need to start up an application that runs for, you know, a certain cycle, three months or something, and then start a different one and a different one and all that. So it kind of fits into the whole cloud elastic model really well, but we need it internal. And the big thing is that <clears throat> Eucalyptus has said, we're going to try to trace API compatibility with Amazon EC2. So, you know, when I go get a library like the Bodo Python library to interact with EC2, I can use most of that with um, Eucalyptus. 
aside from things that it doesn't have, right? Like, you know, Amazon released their email service that Eucalyptus doesn't have and stuff like that. But for the for the most part, the, the basic stuff should be the same library. So I can actually play with it, test with it. I can use EC2 for things, and yet I can take those that same code, the scripts that are, you know, testing, like, how loaded is the app? Should I start up new servers? All that kind of logic and all that code can, can be compatible between Amazon and Eucalyptus. OpenStack has... And, you know, both wisely and unwisely said, that's great, but we're, you know, chasing somebody is not the way to win a war. Um, and so we're not going to guarantee API compatibility with Amazon EC2. And we're going to do what we think is best for us in an effort to get our stack to be the best stack out there. Right. But is, so, it, is it such that you, you, if you support one thing, you can't support the other? I mean, not necessarily... Great. It'd be how, how deep does this go? How how deep it, is this? It, it can go. It, okay. it, right right now, it's not that deep because OpenStack's so early. Um, however, with their stated goals and stuff, it could get very deep. Um, it's the kind of thing where you know I have a whole lot of scripts that I do and work in things in Python, and then I go to a machine where I only have I have to use only Perl. You know, you basically have to rewrite stuff. Yes, you can take the logic and you can take a lot of the you know the stuff involved and kind of transfer it, but it would be a it would be fresh code. Right. Oh, I mean, as far as code, yeah. I mean, if you if you if you choose one particular way of going with this, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're going to go down that path. I mean, I'm not going to sit and say, "Oh my right. gosh, I need to rewrite all this Python and Perl because you know I just got a Jones for Perl all of a sudden." But what I'm saying is, as far as like modules and that, do they have to actually unload modules in or in the kernel in order to go down a different? No, well, no, 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 no. So, um, the 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 big thing for me is as a as someone who's going to use one of these cloud stacks is that I'm going to write a lot of internal code and tools in order to fire up new server instances, monitor those instances, shut them down, load them up with different applications and things. And doing that from EC2 and Eucalyptus on one side is compatible. Those would not be compatible with OpenStack. Okay. So but if, it's yeah. I, right. I get, so I get if, if I were to build a fancy web dashboard for work to monitor our load across our whole cloud internal cloud infrastructure right that that yeah. whole that whole web app that gives me my gui and would give me options of you know start new server start new server shut down server and all that would not work between eucalyptus and openstack whereas in theory it works between eucalyptus and ec2 right but still they can just say okay this is this is the set of packages that we're going to give you for openstack knock yeah. yourself out oh yeah no i mean you know i mean at, at the end of the day that they're the goal is to get them to both work out of the box with ubuntu um down the road here so yeah no, and what's, definitely- what's really cool is openstack's definitely acting as more of a uh, open source project they're following a six-month release cycle um, and, and, you know, the, the thing is, is they're kind of the new kid on the block. So they kind of have to be a little more freewheeling and such than Eucalyptus, who's, you know, they're going corporate, they're making money, they're having high level, you know, offerings and, and they're more than happy. You know, I think they, uh, you know, they have a real company and stuff going behind that versus like an open source Apache ish project. Ultimately the, the, when the users win though, when you get right down to it. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see where they both get. That's for sure. Yeah, and while we're keeping in the magic of cloud, let's bring up that uh, Dell and Ubuntu. So we have Canonical joins OpenStack and Dell and Ubuntu get friendly, and they now have an offering where you could basically buy a server from Dell that you power on, and you can start running Eucalyptus on it right now. That's pretty interesting. Out of the box, baby. Um, 
I haven't set up eucalyptus more than just to kind of poke with it. So I, I don't know how I'm guessing basically the hardware is, you know, tailored with specific, you know, space and lots of CPU so that you can virtualize and all that fun. You probably uh, just throw another sticker on it. <laughs> there you go. Ubuntu, <laughs> Ubuntu cloud approved. Um, and part of the announcement was that Dell will eventually be supporting OpenStack as well as an option. Um, although because it's so early in OpenStack's life, it's not supported yet. So that'd be kind of cool to let, you know, go to the Dell website and say, I would like a cloud server for Ubuntu and then pick, would you like Eucalyptus or OpenStack with your server today? Yeah. And and Dell is, has a bit of a history, although kind of a checkered history in yeah. Ubuntu in the past. So we'll see where it lands in six hey. months. OEMs and Ubuntu working together works for me. All right, you want to bring up this next one because this is your baby, and I yeah, can, I can so, just hate on it. <laughs> <laughs> so recently, I posted a blog post about why I thought Diaspora uh, hadn't really met the goals that I thought it could have met. Now, Diaspora, for those of you who don't know, is a clone, if you will, not necessarily a a you know point by point clone of Facebook, but it's an open source type clone uh, that got a ridiculous amount of funding initially uh, for four students to work on this. And uh, they've produced a server that you can go to, and I have invites if anyone wants it. Send it. Send a note over to feedback at localcast.net, and we'll get you hooked up. Um, but essentially, my complaint with Diaspora is not so much that they cloned Facebook or anything like that. It's that they went about the wrong approach. The approach that I was hoping that they would take would be something that would be a little more open uh, so that they would allow folks to uh, connect along with Identica, not necessarily as a bridge or anything like that, but be able to actually send uh, back and forth bits of information. And not necessarily just Identica itself, but services like Identica, services that support federation. And I got to thinking about this uh, because I, I started thinking that we need as open source, as floss, as a floss community to create something where we have an underlying protocol that allows each of these disparate systems to communicate with each other and communicate so that I don't necessarily have to care that Rick is on Diaspora, I'm on Identica, and Billy Joe Jean is on GNU Social or whatever. They all manage to communicate with each other. I can be friends with Billy Joe Jean and Rick over on my Identica system, and they can busily use their stuff. And my reasoning behind this is that this is the only way that we can really compete with something like Facebook, because Facebook is huge. Everyone knows someone who is on Facebook. Everyone knows someone who is on Twitter. And we're not going to change those systems unless we come up with a large enough and compelling enough community that Facebook and Twitter cannot help but implement these protocols. So that was uh, the post that I made. I got a lot of comments on Reddit and on the blog itself. Um, we've got a link to it in the show notes. 
so, and of course, Rick has a slightly opposing viewpoint on this. So here's, I, it's not that I oppose your view, right? Right. At the end of the day, I agree. I'm, I'm also a Facebook alum. I don't know if we could call us that. Um, where I deleted my, yeah, I'm a deleter, <laughs> deleted my account and said, yeah, forget this. Um, you know, I haven't talked to my, you know, cousin in three years for a reason, right? We have no meaningful communication to have between each other. I, I don't, I don't see the need. However, the, the problem is I, I, I like the idea. I like the whole, you know, protocol and all that. But I got thinking about it myself and I realized, you know, what protocol that didn't win the market share, the mind share war out of the gate eventually took over. And the, really the, the closest I could really come to anything was as Jabber, right? AOL Instant Messenger was huge and massive, still is actually. And we had this Jabber thing come up like, hey, Jabber is all great and open. But if you if you don't if you take out Google Talk support for Jabber, I mean the 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 size of it's minuscule, and even with taking Google Talk into account, it's still not nearly the dominant you know um, protocol. There's still people out there using AOL and MSN. Well, and not that. they're not just they're not just still people. There's gobs of people, right? I mean, I, I always get floored whenever I hear the market share numbers for email services, where Hotmail and Yahoo Mail are so massively more popular than Gmail still. You know, and it's just like, ouch. Um, so while I like the idea, the problem, I, I just, you know, realistically, I, I kind of sit down and go, that's great, except I just, I don't ever see it working. It's really, when they say first to market wins, uh, so much of the time, that's really what's true. And especially with these social things are making it even more true because first to market means that's where, you know, that's where the people you want to socialize with are on the popular services. So, you know, yeah. You, even if we had your your the, the magical federated world, which we can have with Identica, the problem is that the the, the conversations don't take place, and and then you have people like you know uh, Facebook's actually becoming popular with you know my parents and uh, my grandparents even, and you know you're not going to say well go find your closest local federated you know instance of you know diaspora free or whatever three I don't know what. Um, and, and go sign up and then you can go look at other federated servers to find the people that you want to talk with. These single point silos just, they work that way. Uh, right. And I, the thing that I liken this to is remember when AOL and CompuServe and BBS were the points where people got most of their email. So now we have the ability, I think, to create something that's as pervasive as email. I don't necessarily have to know that, um, you know, my mom is on Hotmail. Uh, I don't necessarily have to log into Hotmail in order to communicate with her. I can just send it over to her and then she can deal with it at her own time. So that was the thought that I had, though, is, is that we, can, we do have the ability to make something that's as ubiquitous as email, that we don't necessarily have to care about the underlying platform. But you're right. There, there's a lot of roadblocks to this. Mm -hmm. There's a, a mindset with, with Facebook of oh, it's just easy. I can go on there and I can type in someone's name and suddenly I have their information. And I can check and see if it's, you know, Billy Joe Jean or whatever on Facebook. Right. So, yeah, that's it's a little it's going to be a hard nut to track to crack. But I think that we do have the technology. We have the people. We have the resources. And hopefully we can get the drive to get something like this going and get it so that, you know, we do at least have something that is competitive and compelling. 
hey, we need the dreamers, man. Keep dreaming. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm with you on the dream. Just, uh, I'm not I'll be hold- out there on the boat playing my banjo. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath anytime soon. But on a related note, I really wanted to kind of just bring this back. I don't know if you remember a while ago we talked about the uh, Freedom Box that came yep. out of the Debian conference a while back. And with the whole, uh, you know, chaos in Egypt with the internet going down and all those kind of things, that kind of came up a couple of times recently, I've heard. And it kind of follows the same kind of idea where, you know, this Freedom Box allows you to set up your own private network with your own, you know, software and all your own things. What kind of interesting was was discussion about how you could use something like this to, you know, to do kind of mesh networks or something in order to build a, you know, a darknet secondary internet when the main one gets shut down. So that's kind of interesting. I just thought it was kind of neat how something that we had talked about a while ago kind of comes back up again and how the idea is still out there, add a new twist to it. And, you know, these are things that could you know, yeah, change the world. You know, it, Egypt's changing. So uh, it, interesting stuff for sure. And we'll definitely want to hear your feedback over at feedback at localcast.net. And we'll keep mentioning that throughout the show. And that's please our, send us any email. That's, ah. that's our theme. Send us feedback. <laughs> feedback. <laughs> feedback. Um, and this uh, episode's feedback will be, don't say feedback anymore. Um, <laughs> but let's go get into books and start to wrap this up. Okay. Well, I... I'm going to make a kind of an oddball recommendation for a book. Um, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes, whenever you have to preface what it is that you're about to say, you'll know that it's going to be a doozy. So, for those of you out there who play pen and paper RPG games, and I know there's a few of you out there, I'm watching, there's a game that I found uh, that is kind of interesting. It's called Eclipse Phase. And the reason that this is so interesting is not that it is a transhuman post-apocalypse uh, game where you are basically screwed, uh, but you also have the ability to be resleeved and such. And it's humanity's fight against this unknown AI instance called Titans. This is sounding so fun and pleasant already. Oh, it's a it's a walk through the park. Yeah, anything that you, you know, any wonderful and goodness. Anything wonderful and good that uh, science fiction has given us, this game kind of turns the dials and says, okay, this is going to be absolutely and utterly horrific. But what's cool about this is that the entire game is Creative Commons licensed. So you have stuff like the artwork. You have the text. You have all that stuff available to you in a Creative Commons, uh, non-commercial, share-alike, by attribution license, which is extremely cool. That's interesting. You can actually... Go out tonight and download this from a torrent site with the blessing of the creators of this. They actually go out and seed the PDF files themselves. Well, not necessarily seed them, but they give updated copies of them to those who do seed that. And they have an extremely enlightened view of piracy, which is that people are going to pirate anyway, (laughs) but we'd like you to give us money anyways. (laughs) Welcome to 2011. Exactly. So uh, the reason I bring this up is that there's a, uh, a new book that they released called Gate Crashing, which talks about um, the gates which have been locked off from humanity uh, for some reason. Uh, the, the organization that's locked them off is called Firewall that's trying to make sure that uh, the Titans don't come back and completely and utterly annihilate humanity as we know it. So... Definitely check it out if you're into that type of stuff, uh, Eclipse Phase. You can head over to EclipsePhase.com and check it out. 
And um, definitely, if, if you're interested in that stuff, or even if you just wanted to see what a Creative Commons licensed RPG can look like, definitely check it out. Interesting. I'm going to go different. Um <laughs> On that, on that note, uh, no, I, unfortunately, uh, the way things have gone, I actually have not gotten much reading done, which, looking back through the uh, the scripts of previous episodes, I'm going, wow, I can't believe I didn't really read much. However, I think it's because of my, my New Year's resolution-ish of do more, read less, and I've been working hard on trying to get my pet project out the door and at least get some work done on it. So I've the only thing I've really been reading much of are the docs for the new... Um, pyramid framework from the pylons project which is a python based web framework that I just have to give the, i have to say yeah <laughs> i know i've only been talking about doing this project for i don't know three years being generous to myself and so um to actually see something work the other day was i was like oh my god it works and then i looked around and realized exactly how far you have to go um and i'm like oh okay back at it so very, it's it's very cool. Um, the pyramid framework has been very awesome. The docs are very awesome. It just hit 1.0 a little bit ago, so I, I've been less afraid to kind of work with it and play with it. And hopefully I'll be able to take this and, and use it in work stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's that's been my reading I got for you. So I got nothing else. Yeah, the pyramid docs are really cool. Uh, I have to say they, they did bring it together pretty quickly. It's a very coherent book. I've been playing with pyramid myself. A uh, lot of things in there that remind me of Pylons and the Pylons project that came before it and that, but very cool that they've managed to to take something that, you know, essentially was an idea and in about three months' time turn it into an actual shipping well, product. They had some good help bootstrapping it because basically they took Repose.bfg and they uh, put a little Pylons sugar in there. And that actually had a full book out for it. And the docs were the book and the book was released and you could buy it. So, um Big props to uh, Chris McGonigal, or I think that's how you say it, who um, is one of the the head guy on that, who came from the Repose that BFG side, and is just does awesome work. It's kind of funny because I, I'm going to sprint with them hopefully this at PyCon, and I'm looking through their notes on like how to contribute, and it's kind of scary uh, because they're basically like anything you do must have documentation before you commit. Um, before you commit, anything you add must have 100% test coverage. Um, you know, do not commit anything that in any way, shape, or form does not work on Windows 2.4, 2.5, 2.6, 2.7 of Python and breaks anything to do with like App Engine and whatever else support. So it's, it's definitely there. This is not like a, a light off the, you know, off the cuff framework kind of thing. I mean, these guys are serious and because of that, they got some awesome stuff in here. Yeah, definitely, definitely cool stuff. Download the EPUB file and the PDF file. So with that, let's bring this regularly scheduled episode I must, you know, throw out there to an end. <laughs> regularly scheduled. <laughs> hey, man, think about it. We, the last one was, wasn't was too long ago. We're, we're doing pretty good to our bi-weekly schedule that we're supposed to be doing. Oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> I, think we, I think we mentioned surprise, it once. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> All right, and we'll try to be a little more sane in the future episodes for you guys. If you would like to send us anything you would like us to change, please send it to feedback at localcast.net. <laughs> That's all, folks.